Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. My name is Brian and it's good to talk to you again. Right now we're engaged in a series that we have entitled Who We Are. And we're talking about some of the foundational things that make up our identity as followers of Jesus Christ and as people engaged in the community here at Mount Hope. Sometimes it's important to get back to the basics and talk about the things that matter most. So I hope you enjoy these talks and I hope you listen closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Uh, Let me just, as we start off the second Sunday of the new year, great to be in uh, this new year with you. Let me ask you, how many of you make New Year's resolutions or set goals at the beginning of a new year? Not? More in the first service. How many of you used to and you've given, ah, okay, there's the hands. There's the hands, right? Uh, And those of you that did, I won't ask how many of you have kept them to this point, but um, it is interesting setting New Year's resolutions or goals. In one sense, uh, being a part and starting a new year necessarily is just the turning of a calendar like we do often and isn't necessarily anything uh, that unique. But on the other sense, I think anytime you have times to reflect back and look back and say, okay, what was, what happened, and then take a moment to look forward and to say what could be, what should be, um, is always healthy, whether you do that on a daily basis or a monthly basis or at least on an annual basis to kind of take a look at that and take some evaluation. Um, so one of the reasons I, I say that because at the beginning of every year, we do a similar series every year at Mount Hope. We call it different things. We name it different things. But if you're paying attention, it's pretty similar. We don't give the same messages, but we talk about important topics. And we talk about some foundational aspects of the faith. And here's why we do it. Because I want you to be at a better place spiritually in December of 2019 than you are in January of 2019. I want you to be closer to God. I want you to have more of a knowledge of him. I want you to be growing spiritually and be at a better place at the end of the year than you are at the beginning of the year. And so at the beginning of the year, one of the things we do is say, here's some important things to just kind of evaluate where you are and how you're doing on them and what you want to do in this next year when it comes to these important aspects of our faith so that you can grow closer to God. And that's basically what we're talking about. So last week, Pastor Brian talked about Bible reading, and he gave you this statement, we do not change the Bible to fit our lives, we change our lives to fit the Bible. And we're just saying this is who we are. This is who we are as a church, what we believe about these things. When it comes to the Bible, we believe it's God's Word. So if it's God's Word, we can't change it and make it say something we'd like it to say. We're going to instead change our lives to be shaped to whatever God's word is. So uh, the only way I really know how to do that, certainly you can come to church and you can listen to people talk about the Bible, but I think even better than that, just read it for yourself. So we encouraged you last week, start a reading plan, um, restart a reading plan. doesn't have to be through the whole Bible. Maybe it's through the New Testament. Maybe it's you're going to focus on a book or two of the Bible. We talked about the Immerse Bible plan Um, And then we have a couple copies of Immerse back in the fellowship hall on the table if you want to look at that. And that is basically, uh, it's written more, it's the text of the Bible, but the format looks more like a normal book you might read. There's no chapter numbers, there's no verse numbers, starts out just like any book you'd open. The chapter numbers and verse numbers were put in later if you didn't know that. Those are just there simply so we can reference and 
all talk to each other and find out where we're at. But um, so Immerse is back there. You can take a look at that. But this morning, we're going to talk about something else. So let me start by saying this as we look at another topic in our life of following Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but Amazon, how many of you read ebooks? Anyone read ebooks in here, digital books? Did you know that Amazon, when you read a digital book, keeps track of the highlights and the underlines that people make in books? They track this. And they're able to say, and so what, what people underline most. And so last year, they actually released some of the what people underline most in books like the Hunger Games or the Harry Potter series or Pride and Prejudice. They say, here's the most underlined, quoted, highlighted verses. They also released it when it comes to the Bible. And they said, here is the most underlined, highlighted verse in the Bible. Anyone want to guess what you think it was? What do you think was the most underlined verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. They want the shortest one. It wasn't Jesus wept. That's a good one. John 3.16 is, uh, yeah, that's an important one to us, right? We, we see it a lot. For God so loved the world. But that's not it. Not John 3.16. Any other guesses? Now no one wants to be wrong. No one's going to throw out guesses, right? Anyone else want to wager? I guess someone in the first service said 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, but, but that's not it. Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd. That's a pretty popular one, right? Nope, none of those. Um, I should have kept off the back of the card, the verse we're using today, because you know it's going to be the verse we're using today, right? Uh, it is actually Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And that may seem a little obscure to you if you're not familiar with the verses. You might think, why Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7? I never hear about that. I don't know what that is. Well, let me read it to you and see if you can figure out why this is the most highlighted passage in Scripture. Here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses, and, and, the, God of, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. So can you guess why this might be the most underlined passage in our current culture and world? Anxiety is a huge problem in our culture and world. Being anxious and worried is a huge issue. In fact, uh, things like places like in college campuses, over the last decade, anxiety, it used to be that depression was the biggest issue for mental health on college campuses, that most people, when they went to see a mental health counselor on a college campus, would be struggling with depression. Anxiety has overtaken that in the last decade. It's jumped from 50% in 2011 to, in 2016, 62% of college students that go and look and, and seek out mental health, it's for Anxiety issues. One article in the New York Times says this about this uh, college students and anxiety. For many of these young people, the biggest single stressor is that they never get to the point where they can say, I've done enough, and now I can stop. There's always one more activity, one more AP class, one more thing to do in order to get into the top college. Kids have a sense that they're not measuring up. The pressure is relentless and getting worse. But it's not just college students, right? 
I mean, all of us feel this. In fact, uh, $42 billion was spent on specifically anxiety and mental health last year. That's one-third of all the monies spent on mental health was going towards anxiety. Last summer, Barnes & Noble reported that the genre of books that grew the most year over year was anxiety books. 26% it grew by last year. So 26% more books published on anxiety last year than the year before. It's a problem. It's a problem in our culture. And if we're honest, it's a problem for us. So what makes you anxious? What are you worried about? There's so much in the world to worry about. You can worry about your future, your children's future if you have children, political instability, the economy, job security, your unpaid bills, natural disasters, death, whether this sermon's going to end in time for you to watch the Patriots game this afternoon. There's all kinds of things you can be anxious about and worried about, right? And yet Paul says in this passage we just read, and God says to us, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. That's, that's pretty broad. Like, like, I think that covers all of it. Don't be anxious about anything. And maybe you think, well, that's easy for Paul to say. He's living in the first century A.D. What possibly could he have to be anxious or worried about? He didn't have a 24-hour news cycle telling him everything that's wrong in the world. He didn't have social media to compare himself to his friends constantly. He didn't have the pressure to get into the right college. He didn't have an overdue heating bill, a mortgage payment, investments affected by the market that goes up or down. Maybe we could think, what did Paul have to be worried about or anxious about? But let me just tell you, Paul is not writing this in a vacuum. And it's not just platitudes that he's saying, I want you to live this out, but it doesn't apply to me. In fact, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he's writing these words, he's actually a prisoner under 24-hour guard when he's writing these words. And the people he's writing to, the Philippians, people living in Philippi, they were under extreme persecution for their faith in Jesus, and they were monetarily stretched and not a very wealthy people at all. And so Paul writes into this context, as a prisoner, two people experiencing persecution... Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. And in fact, later in a different letter, Paul writing to another church talks about all the things he has experienced in his life because there were some people that were saying, you know, Paul's not that great. I'm paraphrasing. They were in a sense saying, you know, Paul's not that great. We're not, you know, he hasn't experienced, he's he's not, he hasn't experienced as much as we have. And so Paul at one point says, look, here's what I've gone through to listen to this list. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, but flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. So how's your life? And here's Paul. And into all this, he says, don't be anxious about anything. I don't know how many times you've been shipwrecked. Paul, it was three times. How many times you've spent a night and a day out in sea, wonder if you're going to be rescued. No Coast Guard. Don't be anxious about anything. How many times you've actually been hungry, not just missed a meal, but wondering where your next meal is going to come from. Don't be anxious about anything. This is the context that Paul writes this in. But he doesn't just say, don't be anxious about anything. Because I think when someone tells me not to do something, that's fine. But you got to kind of fill in the gap. Don't just tell me not to do something. Give me something to do. Point me, fill in the gap and fill it in. And, and give me something to do. It's kind of like, don't think about the pink elephant and all you think about is the pink elephant. Like, you've got to think about, you've got to give them something else to think about. So Paul doesn't just say, don't be anxious. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So he takes the alternative. He says, don't be anxious, but be peaceful. And even if I say those two words, I know they change. Don't they affect you differently when I say anxiety or peace? I mean, they just have a different feeling to them for us, right? And Paul says, don't be anxious, be peaceful, be at peace. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God gets anxious or worried? No. <laughs> you think God is up there biting his fingernails? Like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Like, you don't pick, no one ever pictures God like that when you're praying to him, right? You think he's, he's sweating it out and, and constantly at the, his wit's end, what is going to happen next? Like, he's nervous? Of course not. We don't think of God like that. Well, here's what Paul says. Here's why that's important. Because Paul says that you can have the peace of God. Not peace, that preposition's important. Not peace from God, not peace with God, but actually the peace of God. He's saying the same way you picture God up in heaven not being worried about things is actually the same way you can live life that you can have the exact same peace that God as creator of the universe has, not being anxious or worried about it, that you can actually have that same kind of peace. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can I have peace in the midst of everything going on? Well, that's good, because he also says it's a peace that surpasses your understanding. You won't understand it. There'll be reasons not to have it. But he says it's a peace of God. And it passes your understanding. Maybe it's helpful to understand it this way, to, to understand how we can have that peace. How many of you have ever flown in an airplane? 
flown an airplane. How many of you, when flying in an airplane, have ever experienced turbulence? All right. How many of you, when you experienced that turbulence, thought you were going to die? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, right? You're up there. Everything starts shaking. You know, the, the, the flight crew goes and straps them in. The light comes on. They start yelling at you. Get back in your seat. And it gets a little scary, right? Well, pilots see it a little differently. In fact, Patrick Smith, who's a commercial airline pilot, talks about turbulence. He flies 757s and 767s. And he says he's has noticed that flyers' number one anxiety when flying is turbulence. He says, so much about it seems dangerous. But Smith argues that from the perspective of the pilot, turbulence is often more of a blip. Smith writes, for all intents and purposes, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, thrown into a tailspin, or otherwise flung from the sky by even the mightiest gust or air pocket conditions. Conditions might be annoying and uncomfortable, but the plane is not going to crash. Turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everybody, including the crew, but it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. From a pilot's perspective, it is ordinarily seen as a convenience issue, not a safety issue. When a flight changes altitude in search of smoother conditions, this is by and large in the interest of comfort. The pilots aren't worried about the wings falling off. They're trying to keep their customers relaxed and everybody's coffee where it belongs. In the worst of it, you probably imagine the pilots in a sweaty lather, the captain barking orders, hands tight on the wheel as the ship lists from one side to another. Nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, Smith concludes, while the passengers are fretting about the turbulence, the pilots are having casual conversations about their morning orange juice. A different perspective, right? You know, we've all been in the plane sometimes when it starts to shake, and you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? You, your prayer life starts kicking into action right there, right? And you start, you know, oh, God, help us. And the pilot is up there sipping coffee with his feet up, drinking his orange. He's not worried about it. And I think it's similar. This is what Paul is talking about with prayer. The peace of God. You as a passenger can have the same peace of the pilot. You, living here, Paul's saying, can have the same peace that God in heaven has. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to live your life worried, full of anxiety. You can have a life of peace. And it says, it goes on, Paul goes on to say, that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, he doesn't just uh, willy-nilly use a word here. The word guard is important because, remember, I just said Paul's a prisoner. Prisoners in that day weren't in the same way we look at it uh, always. You know, you're behind bars and in place, and that's what keeps you in place. Usually, prisoners were under 24-hour watch by a guard, and that's where Paul was. 24-hour watch by a guard. And so when he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he's very particularly using a metaphor and saying uh, essentially that the guards that were there, that are there to keep him, make sure he stayed where he was, that just like that, the peace of God stands guard at the doorpost of your heart and mind making sure the outside world doesn't get in. 
And hearts and minds is significant, right? Because isn't that where most of our anxiety comes from? Our heart, seat of emotions, we get worried about things. Sometimes things attack there, and maybe you're a person that's more prone to heart anxiety, emotional anxiety. Things come in and they paralyze you. And then our minds. Maybe you're a person that's more prone to mental anxiety. You start running scenarios after scenarios over in your head. This could happen. This might happen. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, then this, and then I'll do that, but then that might happen. And anxiety, and Paul says, no. The peace of God will guard, like a garrison of soldiers, will guard your heart and your mind against any fear or worry that will come in like a fortress. It will defend it. You don't have to live with anxiety. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And so we shouldn't be anxious, and we should be peaceful, but what about in the middle? How do you get there? That's all well and good, but how do you get from anxiety to peace? How can you go from constant worry to confident waiting? Well, in between these two statements, the one statement that gives the problem of anxiety, the other that gives the vision of peace, there's another statement, and it's a road between anxiety and peace, and Paul writes this. Do not be anxious about anything, and here's the road, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the, God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The road from anxiety to peace is paved with prayer. The road from anxiety to peace is paved with prayer. But in everything, Paul says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. And pray about everything. That's the solution, Paul says, and then you may receive the peace of God. Don't be anxious about anything, and that includes anything you can think of. Don't be anxious about your work, your job, children, whether you have children, whether you will have children, bills, grades, getting into college, getting that internship, your health, your parents' health. The weather, the government shutdown, the government in general, cultural winds that are blowing, persecution, words on Facebook or social media, people you like, people you don't like, people that like you, people that don't like you, getting bit by a shark, getting the flu, car crash, plane crash, cracked phone screen, getting cancer, someone you love getting cancer or dying. All these things, any of them could be something we'd worry about. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. So here's what he's saying. Make prayer a proactive part of your life. Make prayer proactive. For so many of us, prayer is reactive. It's like the Hail Mary pass at the end of a football game. We don't know what to do next, so we throw up a pass. Paul says, no, don't make it, proact- don't make it reactive. Make it proactive. So how do you do this? One way you can do this, I would say, is you can create implementation triggers in your life. 
for prayer. A lot of experts on creating habits in your life will say, in order to create a new habit, you need to create an implementation trigger. For example, if you, if you, if you, you want to eat differently, so you create an implementation trigger about eating differently. So you have a natural reaction when you want a snack. Maybe you create something, okay, I'm going to have a, a healthy snack right there, and every time I'm hungry, I'm going to reach for that apple that's right there, or whatever. But you, or when you want to lose weight, you create triggers of things to do things. And so create an implementation trigger for prayer. Maybe every time you get into the car, you say, every time I sit down in the car, I'm going to pray. Or every time I get into the shower, I'm going to pray. Or wherever that time is. Every time I brush my teeth, I'm going to pray. And you create, you, you coordinate a trigger with it to create proactive times of prayer in your life. Many of you already have one of these built into your life. You already have an implementation trigger built into your prayer life. You know where it is? Every time you sit down to the table to eat. Many of you automatically, the next first thing you'll do is pray. Say what we call say grace. I don't know why we say say grace. Um, it's more of a recognition of God's grace that he's given to us. We should recognize grace. I don't, but we, we say a blessing. We ask God's blessing. We thank him for the food. It's an implementation trigger. I can't sit down at a meal without thinking I need to pray. That's just built within me. It's become a habit. And so why not create other implementation triggers in your life? I know one person that's, theirs is before my feet hit the floor in the morning, I will say a prayer to God. So you go to swing your feet over the bed, and they think instantly, before my feet hit the floor, they will say a prayer, say a sentence, recognize God's presence in their life at that moment. Create triggers in your life like that. Many of us have another implementation trigger we have that's less desirable, and that is every time something bad goes wrong, every time something goes wrong, we pray. And that's the only trigger we have. All I'm saying is, why don't you put some other triggers in your life? Not just when things go terrible that you pray, but other reasons and be more proactive about how you pray. And do more than, uh, we should do more than just have requests from God. Uh, Paul says, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. All requests to God are prayer, but not all prayer needs to be requests. So there should be other aspects of our prayer. I use the ACTS acronym. I've shared that with you before to help me. A-C-T-S, I add another S, uh, to remember how to, and to pray. So because I can get caught up on, I don't know about you, but me and my prayer time with God, I can get caught up with, God, here's my day. I need this, 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 this. Okay, we're good. Go and amen. Thanks, God. And all I do is request things. And that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. So I use the ACTS acronym at times. I'll go through that in my prayer time. ACTS, the A is for adoration. God, we give praise to you. Just how Jesus started out the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adoration, praise. The C is confession. Take time to confess. God, here's the things in my life that I need to confess to you. Places where I have fallen short places where I did things I shouldn't have done and I left undone things that I should have done. I confess those to you. And the T is thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, I thank you for these things in my life. And that heart of gratitude often changes the next part of prayer, which is supplication, which is just a theological word, which means requests, asking things for God. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And the last S I add is silent. Silence, so A-C-T-S-S, and the last S is silent. 
is taking time to listen. All right, God, I've said what I feel like I need to say. What do you want to say to me? Let me sit and listen. And you might want to use that to guide your prayer time as well. So here's what we believe about prayer at Mount Hope. Here's that. If you have your card, look on the back of your card. We're going to fill in those blanks on the back of your card. Here's the statement that we want you to know about prayer. Prayer at Mount Hope, prayer is our first priority, not our last resort. Prayer is our first priority and not our last resort. Prayer is a last resort. It's not that God doesn't answer last resort prayers. Of course he does. But we will not actively experience his peace, which guards our minds and hearts, without proactive prayer in our lives, making it a first priority. Prayer is our first priority, not our last resort. Oswald Chambers, who wrote a book, a great devotional called My Utmost for His Highest, I'd recommend it to you if you do not have it. Whereas a daily devotional, one every day on October 17th, Oswald Chambers' daily devotional says these words, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. See, here's what we often do with prayer. We often view it like this. Well, I'm going to pray so I can do this. I have this to do, so I'm going to pray first. I, I really need God to prepare me to do this thing, so I need to pray. What Oswald Chambers is saying, and I think he's right, is this. No, prayer, when you come into the presence of the almighty God, creator of the universe, who made everything, sustains everything, who created you, who knows you, who knows everyone around you, when you come into his presence and you're allowed to speak to him and he can speak to you, that is the greatest thing you can do. Not whatever you're going to go do afterwards, It's coming into his presence and you speaking to God of the universe and God speaking to you. That's the greatest work you can do. And yet we sometimes think, well, i got to get this over with so I can go do the important stuff I need to do. It's like the parent with the children, you know, and the parent's like, you know, it's, it wants to, is playing a game with their kids, and, and their kids are goofing around and joking, and, and the parent's like, look, if you're not going to take this seriously, you know, I'm just going to go and do other things. Like, you totally missed the point. Like, no, the point is goofing around and joking and spending time with your kids. This is the the work you need to do. Not do this so you can go on to other important. This this is how you build relationships. You know, the irony of parenting is there have been many parents that have been so focused on successful kids that they lose the relationship with their kids, right? And the same thing can happen with us and God. We're so focused on doing whatever we might need to do for God that we completely lose our relationship with God. Because like, no, the prayer, spending time in my presence, that is the greater work. Prayer is our first priority, not our last resort. It's like this in our other relationships too. When you make prayer, uh, something like prayer that should be first priority, a last resort, I, it's like in maybe in a married couple relationship or a couple relationship. After the wedding day, eventually you stop going out on dates. Maybe stop writing love notes to each other. Stop thinking about each other. Stop doing all the little things that they did to win the other person's affection. They drift apart. Conflict starts to seep into the relationship and remain unresolved. They no longer try to see and understand 
things from the other person's perspective. They don't know what to do. The marriage is hanging on by a thread. And so they show up on the door of a marriage counselor and they expect her to fix everything. By that time, it's not too late, but it's pretty late. The counselor listens to their story and thinks, why didn't you come to me years ago? If you had only been willing to put this effort into your relationship on a daily basis, you would not be sitting here today. And I think sometimes it's like this with God. When we only have reactive prayers, when we only have, when something is at the end of the rope, we don't know what else to do, last resort, we'll throw up a pass and go to God. That we're not the people We lack the peace because we haven't become the people that God wanted us to be because we haven't spent time in his presence. And so we're anxious and so we're worried and we don't know what's gonna happen because we have not put in the time over the years to become all that God has wanted us to be and to understand things from his perspective. What if 2019 could be an anxiety-free year? That seems unreasonable to some of you. That seems impossible to a few of you. But that's what Paul says. That's what God says. Do not be anxious about anything. He's not telling you something that's impossible. He's telling you something that is very possible. That you can have not anxiety, you can have the peace of God living in your life. And he says the way from anxiety to peace is committing everything to prayer. So as I close this morning, let me just give you a few of the things that when you spend time in prayer, how it changes things from anxiety to peace. Anxiety grows out of uncertainty, but proactive prayer life reminds you of that which you can be certain of in an uncertain world. You may be uncertain about financial problems, but your active prayer life lets you know that God is the ultimate provider. You may be anxious about your health, but because of your constant prayer, you know that God is healer. You may be anxious about death, but peace comes in prayer as you thank God that he is eternal and not even death can separate you from his love. You may be anxious about your future, but in your time in his presence, God reminded you that if you will follow his will, that he has a better plan for your life than anything you can come up with on your own. You may be anxious about a broken relationship, but in your prayer life, you experience that our God is redeemer and restorer. You may be anxious about something that seems so big, but as you sit in God's presence, you're reminded that God put the stars into place and there's nothing out of his control. You may be anxious about being lonely, but as you spend time in God's presence, you remember that he is Emmanuel, God with us. You're anxious because you feel you're never good enough. But in your prayer time, God reminds you that his love is not dependent on what you do, but on your willingness to receive the grace and mercy offered to you through Jesus Christ. You look at social media and you're anxious because everyone's life looks better than yours. But in prayer, you're reminded that your self-worth and identity come not from what others think, but from what the truth of God has made you and the God that loves you and you are his. But here's the thing. It's not just the benefits aren't just for you. When you live a life not of anxiety, but of peace, 
Think about how that looks in a world that is so engrossed in anxiety like our world. Think about how much you will stick out like a total anomaly because you're not worried when layoffs are going on. Because you are not knocked completely off kilter when a diagnosis comes in. Because your world isn't completely rocked when something unexpected happens. People look around and they say, well, everyone's worried except you. Why aren't you worried about this? And your answer is a simple one. I don't worry about anything. I pray about everything. And because of that, I have the peace of God. It's not hard. It's not complicated. But think about the witness that you become for God. To say that, no, I don't have to worry about that. And you know what? Neither do you if you also put your faith and trust in this God. And that's what God offers you in 2019. A life not of anxiety, but of peace paved by prayer. And so as our music ministry comes back, I want to, as we prepare to respond to God's word, they're going to play a song as we close. And here's, I've got two action steps for you in response to this. Talk about triggers and implementation triggers. One is, uh, I'll direct you, Lynn mentioned it earlier, the Oasis Night of Prayer on Sunday, January 27th at 6. Sometimes it's great to have those daily aspects of prayer uh, built into your life, but sometimes having some corporate aspects where we come together to listen, to spend time in God's presence, to just go through that acronym together. So maybe right now you're going to take out your phone, put in your calendar, January 27th, 6 o'clock, you're going to be at Belmont at Mount Hope, and you're going to spend some time in prayer. But also, this is what I'm going to ask you to do on an individual basis. As the team plays this song, I want you to take the next minute or two And just respond to what you've heard. And I want you to take the back of that card. There's some blank space underneath the the fill in the blanks. Grab a pen if you have one or out of one of the chairs in front of you. And ask God for an implementation trigger in your life. Ask him or come up with what is something in your life that you're going to put in place to make prayer more of a proactive part of your life rather than a reactive part. Maybe you'll say... You know, every time I step into the office at work, the first thing I'm going to do is say a prayer. Or every time I leave work, or before I go to bed every night, before I reach over and pull that lamp cord, I'm going to be reminded that I'm going to pray, thank God for what He's done in my life, and ask Him to watch over me. Or maybe you'll take out your phone right now, and you'll set a reminder in there every day, reoccurring at a certain time, I'm going to pray. Just put prayer. Just make an appointment with God in your phone every day at a certain time. And you put that in and the reminder will come up and you're going to pray for a couple of minutes right at that time. Put something in your life to make prayer more a proactive part and not just a reactive part of your life. And if you do that, I believe that 2019 will be a year of much less anxiety and much more peace from God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality that we don't have to live worried and anxious about this world because our God is in control and you can be trusted and you are good and you are God. Help us, Lord, to be a people of prayer who don't worry about anything but pray about everything. So lead us now even as we respond to your word. Speak to us. 
teach us and guide us. In Christ's name. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.